today on Act News Daily. There's no price discovery, there's no price transparency, and cash rent was just kind of born out of frustration um, as a landowner trying to find the right tenant farmer and also educate and inform other landowners. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, unfortunately, I had to miss today's interview. I went out to lunch with some coworkers, but we've got a great Tech Tuesday coming right up here in just a little while, don't we? We certainly do. Talking about cash rent, so folks will have to stay tuned for that. I don't want to give it too much away, but Delaney, I've got to say, I woke up feeling tired this morning. And I'm just going to blame it on the rain that we got yesterday. And over the weekend, of course, I was with my family back in Dallas, but I heard from quite a few of my friends that we got um, quite the storm over the weekend here in Lubbock. And then last night, we also got some rain. So pretty excited about that. And I think some of our cotton growers in the area are pretty excited about it as well. Well, that's fantastic that you're getting rain because a lot of other areas are not. We are seeing 100 degree temperatures and higher scorching the northern plains again today. But cooler weather is seen in the Pacific Northwest and hopefully will move east in the coming days. So we could hopefully see some temperature swings in parts of those areas that are continuing to experience not only increased temperatures, but of course, increased drought concerns. And Ashton, I think you're one of the lucky few that has been continuing to get uh, rainfall. So lucky for you guys there in that part of Texas. But uh, while we're talking about weather, of course, we had yesterday's crop progress report, which reflects weather pretty directly and how that's been impacting the crop. And as of yesterday's report, we saw further reductions in corn and soybeans. We saw the agency dropped corn ratings by 2%. Now just 62% of the country is in good to excellent condition as of August 15th, with Iowa seeing one of the most significant reductions in corn ratings compared to the week prior. Just 58% of my home state here are experiencing good to excellent conditions. Last week was 61%. Soybean ratings were also dropped with about 57% percent of the country in good to excellent conditions. Spring wheat was left unchanged and cotton ratings actually saw some improvement, Ashton. So it sounds like that rain has definitely been much needed and helped boost scores this week for cotton country. Hopefully we can get somebody out um, on the podcast from cotton country to talk to us. I'm really wanting to talk to somebody from South Texas about cotton because our past few cotton episodes have been, you know, people here in the panhandle. So if anyone's out there listening, please drop us a note on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily. We'd love to talk cotton with you. But Delaney, I'm going to move things over to China. I believe it was last week that I talked about the Ningbo port being shut down or having some issues. And last time we spoke about it, there were 40 container vessels in the line. But as of today, there are more than 50 container vessels that are queuing at Ningbo port. And this is just a a small update here because 
Apparently, Ningbo is just one of several Chinese ports that are facing congestions as vessels due to the call at Ningbo get diverted and cargo processing slows partly due to stricter disinfectant measures called for by China's, quote, zero tolerance coronavirus policy. It is said that China's economy is now losing momentum as a result of new coronavirus restrictions and the global supply chains face further strains with the curbs adding to the lines at these major Chinese transportation hubs, which are already stretched by a resurgence of consumer spending, shortage of container ships, and log jams at ports. So it sounds like not only is the container issue maybe getting a little bit worse, but we're going to, of course, see a little bit more supply chain issues. And I want to go back to what I said about China's zero tolerance coronavirus policy, because China's Ministry of Transportation has ordered that all ports are to have special teams to deal with foreign vessels and required their crews to have health certificates or negative tests before allowing them to load and discharge cargoes. Ports also have their own rules, with some applying additional precautions to vessels that stopped at ports in high-risk regions like India, Laos, or Russia in the past 21 days. And I just want to make this point here that the chief executive officer of Sourcing Industry Group said that China's zero-tolerance policy is good for the pandemic, but bad for the supply chain, which just kind of adds to what I said just a little while ago, that we're going to continue to see some supply chain issues here, it looks like. Well, we're also going to see some supply chain issues potentially in the ethanol and biofuels industry, Ash, and I don't know if you saw this new piece of news that came out literally just before we were recording this today, but biofuel industry and corn farmer groups asked today the D.C. Court of Appeals for a new hearing on a ruling that struck down the EPA's decision back in 2019 to allow year-round E15 sales. So essentially, the way I understand it, they put a new petition out today claiming that a three-panel judge made, quote-unquote, significant legal errors back in July 2nd in the case American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers Eat All versus EPA. And so if you'll recall, back in June of 2019, we saw that retailers were finally able to start to get E15 sales on the books. But prior to that, retailers could not sell E15 blended gasoline from June 1 through September 15th. So in this July ruling, a federal court ruled three to zero that a Trump administration action to expand summertime sales of the fuel was not supported by the legislative text underwriting. So essentially, that's a lot lot to understand there. But uh, essentially, they are arguing here that the administration did have the ability to bring E15 sales year round, and they are petitioning hard to get this ruling to, to keep this ruling. Because if we do have that struck down, that could be a big blow for the biofuel and more specifically the ethanol industry. And they said that this is going to be a very critical step in giving biofuel producers and farmers a fair shot in the marketplace and providing American drivers with better access to cleaner fuel choices. This is reported by AgriPulse today. But Ashton, this really does have the potential to be a big blow to the ethanol industry, which is already still suffering because of COVID-19 supply and demand issues. 
I did see this, Delaney. It was actually one of the stories that I wanted to discuss today. And the organizations say that if allowed to stand, that this decision is going to have, like you said, Delaney, devastating consequences for market expansion of these homegrown biofuels. So I'm definitely interested to see how this shakes out. And I'm going to be keeping my eye out on that. But Delaney, the last thing that I was keeping my eye out on for today actually comes from Iowa. Two environmental groups have petitioned an Iowa state panel to protect waterways from threats such as cattle operations in a geologically sensitive area near a trout stream in northeast Iowa. The Iowa Environmental Council and Environmental Law and Policy Center have filed a petition for rulemaking with Iowa's Environmental Protection Commission. They asked the governor-appointed commission to protect drinking water, groundwater, and karst terrain from pollution. These groups and others have tried several political and legal maneuvers to stop Supreme Beef's planned 11,600 animal cattle feedlot near Monona, the area that will have manure spread on its near Bloody Run Creek, one of the state's cold water trout streams. So I'm particularly interested in this just because I think, I want to say battle, but I, I don't think that that's the proper term. Talking about waterways is an interesting one. And I am particularly interested to see how Iowa really takes this on. Do you have any kind of insider comments on that, Delaney? You might know mm. I do. <laughs> I don't have a lot of insight into that one at this point. I got I to gotta tell you, Ashton. And this is sad, but I'm just going to admit it. I really, besides ag news, I don't pay attention to mainstream news a whole lot. And I know this is ag related, but I don't do the best job at staying up to date on like Iowa politics or what's going on across the state, unless it has a direct impact to agriculture. Yeah, I I get your point there. And I got to say, I'm one of those people too, because I'm not sure, you know, how this relationship is really going to impact the ag industry. I'm, I'm, you know, not going to say, you know, one way or the other, but I'm definitely going to be looking out on this here in the future. But Delaney, that is all I have for today. Do you have anything else for us to talk about before we talk markets? I do have just one other thing, which will segue us nicely here into chatting about the markets. And that is the Pro Farmer Crop Tour, which kicked off yesterday. We chatted with Ted Seifert about that and markets yesterday. So if you missed that episode, definitely a good one to go back and re-listen to. But we got some official numbers from crop scouts from both sides of the Corn Belt, the eastern and the western leg. And as expected, we saw some pretty drastic numbers coming out of cuts, I should say, really coming out of South Dakota due to, of course, their drought and dry weather that they've been experiencing. South Dakota yield potential for both corn and soybeans was was pretty low compared to other states or what we project for other states. And South Dakota's yield potential came in at 151 and a half bushels per acre after 10 stops throughout the state. Last year, the tour measured an average yield of a 179. So pretty significantly lowered compared to last year. And of course, as Ted mentioned yesterday, they're not calculating soybean yield, they're calculating pod count 
which showed the crop behind last year's estimate as well. On the eastern leg, we saw in Ohio, corn yields were pretty decent with an average of about 185.1 after nine different stops throughout the state, which is ahead of last year's estimate, which came out of 167. So, so far, we're getting some mixed reviews there from Ohio and South Dakota. As far as new numbers today that just came out, we saw corn yield potential averaged a 179.1 in Nebraska. And that is a pretty good number on par with what we typically see in Nebraska. Last year, we saw a 179. And so I will continue to update our listeners. Of course, as Ted mentioned yesterday, you can also just look on Twitter. The hashtag PFTour21 has a lot of these tweets coming out. They've got photos as well that show what they're actually seeing in the field. And so we'll continue to watch how those numbers impact the markets this week, Ashton. But we definitely saw the markets pull back today, probably thinking, you know, especially with an Ohio number like that, that's pretty significant. That's pretty significant jump compared to what Ohio is typically used to getting. And markets didn't favor that today, as well as some uh, rain that's coming into sprinkling into parts of the country. Today, the September corn contract closed down six and a half cents to end at 558 and a quarter. The DEES down five and a quarter cent to close at 563 and a half. In the sweeping pits today, the September contract down seven cents to close at 1369. The November down six and three quarters to close at seven, excuse me, 1361 and a half. And in wheat, we saw a major pullback today in the Chicago contract, September. Closing the day out at 734, down 26 cents on the day. December shedding 26 and a half cents to close at 748 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock market today, we saw weakness across the protein complex as the October live cattle contract shed a dollar to close at 128.12 and a half. The DEES cutting 65 cents, ending the day at 133.82 and a half. And in feeder cattle today, September contract shedding $1.07 to close at 160.92 and a half the October. Down 67 and a half cents on the day to close at 164.27 and a half. And as I mentioned, that weakness carried all the way into the lean hog market today as the October contract shed $1.10 to close at 87.90. The DEES down 77 and a half cents to close at 81.07 and a half. And wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures, September down 30 cents today to close at 1730. The October down 39 cents to close at 1718. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday episode, we are talking to Chris Bauman, who is the founder of Cash Rent. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, before we get started talking about the technology that Cash Rent uses and talk about how this can be beneficial for farmers and for landowners, let's talk a little bit more about you. Give us a little bit of your background and how you came up with the idea for Cash Rent. Sure. Uh, Cash Rent uh, was founded um, late 2017, and we we built it, launched it uh, just last year, June of 2020. A little bit of my background, uh, just been a lifelong entrepreneur, um, bought and sold several businesses, and also have a pretty extensive background as a real estate broker as well. Um, And Cash Rent kind of came about after I purchased a uh, hobby farm for the family, and uh, half of it was tillable, half of it was timber. Um, and that led me on a search to basically uh, find a farmer to uh, farm my ground and uh, 
got into a traditional 50-50 crop share agreement with him. I did that for a couple of years and I was getting seed bills, fertilizer bills. And it was at that point I realized, hey, I really don't need to be running half of a farming operation. Um, So I approached him on just, hey, let's switch over to a straight cash rental agreement. And uh, so we started to negotiate pricing and uh, I quickly realized I really didn't know what my ground was worth. And uh, being the entrepreneur that I am, um, went and got a GPS, figured out how many acres I actually had. Turns out I had a few more acres than what I realized on the tillable side. Pulled all this data from ag extensions and universities and basically spent about two, three weeks in my spare time gathering all this data together to just make sure I knew what my ground was worth. Um, And then went back, had a discussion with the farmer. Um, and ultimately we never reached an agreement. So I was looking for a new farmer. And, uh, at that point I realized, Hey, this industry is enormous. A lot of it's done on handshakes, um, no contracts in place. There's no price discovery. There's no price transparency and cash rent was just kind of born out of frustration, um, as a landowner trying to find the right tenant farmer and also educate and inform other landowners. That's a fascinating story. And I, I really actually enjoy that. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the landowner aspects before we really get started talking about the technology here. But do you think or have you heard from other landowners that they have been in the same position? Or did you just kind of have faith <clears throat> that other landowners would want something like this? There's a lot of unique situations for landowners. And I think what's fascinating to me is, you know, you've gotten over 900 million acres of farm ground in the U.S. and roughly 40 percent around 375, 400 million acres is rented out. And it might be um, hobby farm owners who like to hunt and fish. It might be investment firms, REITs, land trusts, um, just a varying uh, array of landowners with unique situations. Some of it's landowners that they inherited the ground, they live out of state, and they're on a rental agreement that's been in place for 10 years, and they're none the wiser. So we talk to a large array of landowners with different and unique circumstances that, that all find um, this tool to be a helpful resource. So let's go ahead and start talking about this tool, Chris. Give us the 10,000 10, foot view of what cash rent is. Well, cash rent is a dual-sided marketplace that allows landowners and tenant farmers to connect and directly interact with each other. So um, essentially what it is, is a platform where a landowner can jump on the site of cashrent.com. And the first thing we suggest to do is get a cash rent estimate. Um, And basically, they can click on the map. They can zoom into their parcel or put in their parcel ID then they're going to actually click on the parcel in which they own, and that's going to give them an FSA or an aerial map of their farm. Then they're going to go on to step two, um, which automatically highlights all the CLUs, the common land units, of all the tillable that is uh, registered with the USDA office. So it quickly and easily, within two minutes, you can select your parcel and select all your tillable ground that is up for rent. And then what that's going to do is it's going to automatically pull in all the soil data um, with custom soil mapping. And that's going to give you your productivity index or your CSR2, basically tell you what kind of soil you're working with. 
Um, and that's the second step. And then uh, basically, once you click that, we have a proprietary algorithm in the background that takes in um, soil types, location, rainfall, yield histories, just a bunch of data to basically spit out a range to say, hey, given your specific parcel, here's what we feel a range, a fair range of cash rent for this ground should be. So and we do a high and a low and a median. Um, and, and that gives a quick snapshot to the landowner to say, okay, here's where I'm currently at. Here's where I should be. And then they can make an informed decision on what they want to do after that. Gotcha. I, I think this relationship between landowner and farmer is very interesting. And I kind of want to talk about the benefits of using cash rent from a farmer standpoint and from a landowner standpoint. Can you give us some insight there? Absolutely. And and we can start off with the farmer. Um, you know, one of the things that when I had this idea, I was I was really grappling with, you know, the dual sided marketplace. Okay, how can this benefit landowners? How can this benefit farmers? And, you know, I come from a small town in central Illinois surrounded by cornfields. And, you know, a lot of my buddies farm, just big farming community right here in central Illinois. And, you know, so I started reaching out to them, telling them, hey, here's what I had in mind. And what I quickly realized is, um, you know, two things farming is a business and farmers run it like a business. So, um, every business has a different overhead structure. Um, they pay different amounts for input costs based on the size of their operation. So there's varying rental rates that each individual farming operation is willing to pay based solely on the operation they have. That was really eye-opening to me um, as an entrepreneur. And then secondly, the, the feedback was, this is absolutely fantastic because as a farmer, the only way we can grow our operation is by word of mouth, you know, hey, this piece changed hands and, you know, let's let's maybe try and reach out to the new landowners, see if they're in need for a tenant. It was just a very difficult process to grow your operation as a farmer unless you had a previous relationship with that landowner um, or heard about it in a coffee shop or whatever the case may be. But with our system as a registered farmer on the site, it's free to register and then as soon as you register, any farm that comes up available for lease within a 60-mile radius, you're going to get an automatic email dropped into your inbox to say, hey, here's a farm for lease in your area. Um, take a look. If you're interested in bidding, you can click bid now. Gotcha. And you mentioned talking about, um, you know, maximizing yields and and your website discusses increasing your ROI. And I just want to talk a little bit more about how you guys do that. I know that you mentioned your aerial and, and soil maps. Can we just dive into that a little bit more? Sure. And that, and that's another great tool for the farmers is when they go to that listing, they're able to view the aerial or FSA maps. They're able to pull the soil maps. And even on the cash rent estimate side, we give um, historical averages for bushel of corn and bushel of beans and annual precipitation. So we're giving as much data as possible to make an informed and educated decision. Um, and from the, the maximize your yield standpoint, you know, we want to maximize the yield or the ROI for the landowner. But we also want to maximize the yield for the farmer, not in the traditional sense of bushels per acre, but maximize the yield of their op operation. And if we can help them grow and spread their overhead out over more acres and become more profitable and maximize their yield, that's 
that's essentially what we're here to do. And, uh, you know, we feel we provide all the tools and data and resources to connect the two and uh, have a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. I love that you put it in the words of having a win-win for everybody. And I definitely think that that is what cash rent is doing. Chris, if any of our audience members want to talk to you a little bit more, get a little bit more information about cash rent, or even get a cash rent submit. Uh, you can just simply go to www.cashrent.com. Um, click on the cash rent tab and you can get a free cash rent and then uh, you can shoot us an email or our contact numbers on the site as well. So, Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you once more for coming on and chatting about Cash Rent with us today. Thank you. again there to Chris for coming on and chatting about cash rent today. I definitely think the relationship between farmer and landowner is an interesting one. So folks, if you want to check that out, you of course can go to their website that Chris dropped there at the end. But if you want to listen to more Ag News Daily podcasts, you can go to our website, which is agnewsdaily.com and follow us on social media while you're at it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.